What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 20. I'm positive this week. This is episode 20. I screwed up last week of the revamped, reintroduced Matt Bernier Show for Tuesday, June the 23rd, 2020. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. number of ways for you to find the podcast, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, whether it's on your Android device, whether it's on InTheMoneyPodcast.com, along with all the other content available from the In The Money Media Network or on, tw- on, on Twitter, on YouTube. All you need to do, type in that search bar, Matt Bernier Show. This show will pop up. You'll find this one along with all the other archived shows. While you're over there, make sure you hit that subscribe button on the In The Money Media page. Make sure the bell icon's lit up. That way you get a notification anytime new content has been uploaded. This is round two for me of the No Visuals pod. Last week, there were some extenuating circumstances. This week, I had uh, 29 minutes of a pod recorded, and I was recording actually from my kitchen because my wife is in the other room, and everything was good. I went to upload it, and for whatever reason, when I don't upload on the hardwired desktop in the office, the upload speeds are just at a snail's pace. I can run faster, and I can promise you I'm not the swiftest on my feet. So I get a hold of producer Craig, and I go, what do you think? Is there a way for me to strip the audio? And knowing that you're dealing with, we're, we're talking about someone in myself that is uh, for for someone that is not on the older uh, side of things, the the real super techie stuff just doesn't doesn't work for me, which is silly. I don't know why, but I'm not super in tune with that stuff. Craig offered up a few solutions. I was unable to make any of them work, so I said, you know what, we're gonna go back to the way we did it last week. So I apologize. For those of you on YouTube, you don't get to see my... Uh, you know what, though? I need a haircut. I haven't shaved in a couple weeks, so it's probably for the best. Uh, quick rundown, and again, I'm going to try to make this much tighter than even what that first version was supposed to be, just because I can see that one kind of getting away. That one's going to be trending more toward an hour. I want to try to keep this a little over a half hour. So, all the stakes races from Belmont Park on Belmont Stakes Day. A very brief look at what's to come Saturday from Churchill Downs, the Grade 2 Fleur de Lis, the Grade 2 Stephen Foster Handicap. You're going to have the return of Midnight Bisu. You're going to have an absolute barn burner with her and Serengeti Empress. There are other talented fillies in that race. And then, obviously, you've got the race just after that, Stephen Foster, which, boy, I mean, Multiplier ran the other day, so I can't imagine him running in there. But you've got a really, really nice group of older horses assembled at Churchill Downs on Saturday afternoon. I will go over... Uh, the new segment, if you missed last week's show, in the money or off the board, just basically straightforward. Who did something good and who did something bad last week, whether it's a horse, uh, an individual, media, whatever the case may be. Uh, that's a new little piece here on the show. And then also we'll update the pick history in a very brief Q&A, hopefully be done with this in short order. Like I said, It was trending toward an hour with the other sort of idea anyway. So I'll try to keep this one nice and tight. If there are any horses or any ideas that you disagree with, I didn't touch on. Uh, If you think they're just noteworthy in general, got to be honest, folks. I was a little disappointed to see only a handful of commenters last week. Need that. That comment section was cooking along. 
We were cooking with cooking with oil, cooking with gas. I don't even know what the saying is, but we were cooking. And it just sort of tapered off a little bit, and I get it. I get it. Me with these, you know, kind of different audio pieces. Maybe it's a little bit harder to come by, but I still think if we can keep that moving, it helps everyone, not just me, but I think it offers a nice opportunity for everyone to interact with one another and kind of get different ideas and opinions out there. So I need all that beneath the video player on YouTube. Again, you can send stuff to me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt, but it's just uh, it's just a little bit difficult to keep on top of everything. So the stakes races from Belmont Park on Saturday. Let's breeze through them. I'm going to take them in chronological order. Yes, I know, maybe bearing the lead a little bit, perhaps, perhaps, but that's just how I'm going to do it. So let's start off with the Woody Stevens, a short field, no parole, goes out there, blitzes the field, uh, earns a 100 buyer. I know there were a number of people that were commenting on the difference in the figure between no paroles race and the Woody Stevens and the maiden race a few races later on the card. I would encourage everyone to go over and read two separate threads from Craig Milkowski from Timeform US over on his Twitter feed. I believe that is at Timeform US Figs. He does a great job of laying out the sort of thought process that goes into the projections and why certain figures are higher than others when at face value. Maybe it doesn't appear that they should be. The only reason I'm really directing you that direction is because it's come up on this podcast a few times where people have asked questions about figures and figure making, and Craig is as good as anyone that it, there is as far as making speed figures. So uh, I would encourage you to head on over there just to perhaps sort of see into the mind of, of one of the best at what they do. So uh, feel free to head on over there and dive into that. No parole, really fast, gate to wire. Uh, I hated that he didn't change the leads. This is a horse that has done everything professionally throughout his career. He's wickedly fast, don't get me wrong, and I'm not saying that he didn't run well, but not changing leads to me when you've done it all along, that's the big piece. That's everyone really, you know, they roll their eyes, uh, some of you anyway, uh, when the, the lead change talk comes up. It's more about when horses do things or don't do things that they have been accustomed to doing for a long time. No parole, yes, he's a lightly raced horse, but in all of his races, he has acted very professionally. For him to not change leads at Belmont Park on Saturday afternoon, that to me is a bit of a red flag because he's never done that before. I don't know what race he shows up in next. I don't know if it's the Amsterdam, the H. Allen Jerkins, some other race. In all likelihood, there's going to be other speed, and for him doing what he did in this spot, he's a grade one winner. No one will be able to take that away from him. But I'm very, very inclined to be taking a shot against him in whatever race he shows up in next. Uh, and I got to be honest, I don't even know if he's the best sprinter that Tom Amos has. I really like that long weekend. I think he's a very gritty, very gutsy horse. I'm not saying that no parole is not a noteworthy type. I just really hated that he didn't change leads. Timeform US also had the main track at Belmont color-coded bright red, meaning they thought it was intensely speed-friendly. I disagree with that. I thought horses... Some of the horses that made moves from the back of the pack, if you're going to suggest that it was such an intensely speed-friendly racetrack, that means horses, two in particular that we'll get to in the Belmont, would have run astronomical races, and I just, it's possible, but I will not be betting on that being the case. I think it may have slightly been kind to speed and forwardly placed horses, but I sound like a broken record in saying that's how all dirt tracks are in the United States. Speed is always going to be more advantageous than trying to rally from off of it. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit more. Let's move on to the next race. I believe it was the Pennine Ridge. Um, decorated Invader. Very promising effort. Love that he squeezed up the wood. Uh, proven strategies. Leaves about 
I would say, 85% of a horse width between he and the rail. Decorated Invader and Joel, they squeezed through there, and I love the way that he finished. Uh, he earned a really nice figure. I believe he earned a 92 buyer, which at this time of the year for three-year-old turf runners, I think it's a, a very promising number. And, you know, I'm used to seeing sort of the, the mid-80 types this time of year. I thought that was a really nice effort from this horse. I like that he's shown anyway, based on that effort, that he's not afraid to get in there and bounce around a little bit. And not that it was a bad ride, but I'd be very curious to see what, if Jose Ortiz could go back and do it again. I don't think it would have made a difference. I think the best horse is going to win anyways, decorated invader. But a board proven strategies, if you just glued to the rail or you made it so there was really no way for Joel Rosario to try to squeeze up the inside, maybe you hem decorated invader in a little bit longer. Like I said, it doesn't really make a difference. I just wonder if Jose could do it again if he would just completely close off that lane and make decorated invader either wait to find a seam or tip out and go out and around. Nonetheless, Decorated Invader, really talented horse, really nice runner for Christophe Clement. Uh, earns big figs. Again, 92 buyer, 112 raw time form US rating. They did have the internal split color-coded blue. To me, again, the best horse won the race. And I can say that I think basically top to bottom for all the races at Belmont on Saturday. What's the next stakes race lined up? The Wonder again. Sweet Melania goes out there. This is the only one that, here I am going to contradict myself already. This is the only one where I'm going to say I don't believe the best horse won the race. I think Sweet Melania is extremely talented for Pletcher. Uh, she has that nice sort of easy speed. She can go out there in this spot here. They were crawling on the front end, especially given how fast the turf has been playing. Uh, she's just got her, her ears flopping around. She's out there loving life. I like that she had that nice you know, sort of spurt that, that energy needed at the top of the lane to open up and put two or three lengths on the field. I think that was the major difference maker. I don't know that she's going to be able to do that going longer distances with some other pace to deal with early on. And that leads me to what I'm about to say. I think Highland Glory is the most talented three-year-old filly on turf that there is right now. Uh, maybe there, maybe Chad's got something. Maybe there are some other runners that are around. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there aren't talented ones right now. I just think Highland Glory is really, really talented. And I feel like she's the kind of horse that she had no business being as close to getting the job done in a race like this as she did. To me, more distance with a little bit of pace, you're going to get a much different story here. I think you would reverse the tables. Um, I know that there's the Saratoga Oaks up at Saratoga on August 16th, $500,000, mile and three sixteenths. No, it's a home game for Highland Glory. I would love to see her connections, put her on a plane, send her out to Del Mar to run in the grade one, Del Mar Oaks, it's a week later, it's $500,000. Yes, it's a slightly shorter distance at a mile and an eighth, but I think a mile and an eighth plus is going to be really where this girl shines. And to get that grade one in front, that to me is a, a key critical differentiating factor between the run at Del Mar and the run at Saratoga. I think Highland Glory was the best horse in this race, but Sweet Melania's tactical advantage is what gets the job done here and what gets her to the winner's circle. Don't get me wrong. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. Sweet Melania is really talented. I just think Highland Glory is very, very, very good. And as the distances get longer, I think she's only going to get better. Now we move on to some dirt racing. And I suppose you could say this was the performance of the weekend. Gamin goes out for Baffert, runs a hole in the wind. She earns a 110 buyer, uh, raw 129 time form US rating, slow fractions based on the way the track was playing. You know, say what you will. I'm not a vet. I don't know. A lot of people were asking about the the positive tests from down at Oaklawn uh, a, a few weeks back now. 
I don't know what you want to do with it. Do with it what you will. That that's that's up to you. Again, I'm not a I'm not a vet. I don't know anything about any of that kind of stuff. All I know is I can only go by what I've seen on the page and how the horses run and what the what the connections have proven in the past. And in a spot like this, I'll admit it. I was against Gamine. I was trying to beat her with casual. Casual, apparently, the form of that Churchill race was more important than, than what my eye was telling me because she got waxed in here. But Gamine, make no mistake about it, she just, she was awesome here. And, you know, again, what does that mean going forward? I have no idea. I'd like to see them try to stretch her out. You've got a race like the CCA Oaks coming up next month at Saratoga. Um, down the road, you obviously have the Kentucky Oaks. If two turns doesn't end up being her game, you can always turn her back for the Philly and Mare Sprint out at Keeneland beginning of November you know I, I don't really have much else to add about this race she just was awesome uh, she's right now the fastest three-year-old in the country uh, male or female I know it was one race I know it was only a one-turn mile you know it's apples to oranges compared to two turns and going longer I get it I know she was awesome there's no you can't deny that and if you say that she wasn't awesome on Saturday you clearly I don't know what you were watching but uh, she runs a hole in the wind winning the grade one acorn move on to the Jiper. This is a win and you're in for the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Uh, the Philly, or I should say the mayor at this point, Alexandra, she gets the job done. She has a wicked, wicked pace to run at. Coming from the back of the pack, uh, Rosario tips her out into the clear. She goes and just nips Kantaka on the line. Those of you that had Kantaka, I feel bad for you. Uh, from my Twitter feed, it looked like a number of people were alive for a pretty big score to her, uh, to him, excuse me. It's nice to see that he can still run. This was his first start for Grand Motion. Now, I don't know what you want to do with a horse like Kantaka going forward because I've always felt like he was more of a middle distance sort of seven eighths on dirt type as opposed to a, a miler on grass or as opposed to five and a half in a turf sprint, which we'll see at Keeneland. I, you know, who knows? Motion will do what he thinks he needs to do with a horse like this. As far as Alexandra is concerned, she's clearly proven that she can take her game on the road. She just needs a little bit of pace. That's always going to be her sort of downfall. She's the type of horse. Uh, she, I don't want to say is pace dependent, but boy, for her to really show off that big late finish, she needs him to throw it down early, and she needs it to be a situation where the speeds early on, they don't come all the way back to the field. I mean, we, in a spot like this, you had a horse like Pure Sensation, who was coming off of a lengthy layoff at a distance that's probably too far for him. You also had Hidden Scroll, who, uh, you know, we're not, <laughs> I'm not in the business right now bashing Hidden Scroll, but, you know, I'll let you all take care of that piece. So she had some suspect or questionable speed situations in front of her, go a crazy pace and have it completely fall apart. And then the horses that were in closest attendance, such as Texas Wedge and Stubbins, they paid the price late when Alexandra was finding her best stride. I'll be interested to see where she goes from here. She's very, very talented. I wouldn't discredit her in any race that she shows up in. I would just caution you know, very greatly that, again, she's going to be at the mercy of the pace situation going five and a half furlongs at Keeneland. Uh, brought up Kantaka already. I can make an argument that the third and fourth place finishers ran the best races in Texas Wedge and Stubbins. They were in close attendance to that hot pace. I thought Texas Wedge ran great. I liked him in here. I picked him. He went off at a juicy price. I'm going to make a statement right now. I believe both Texas Wedge and Stubbins will be heard from again at some point. I don't know if it'll be the Breeders' Cup, but I think they're both going to run big in big spots uh, over the next handful of months, whether it's at Del Mar, whether it's Saratoga, whether it's Keeneland, you name it. There'll be positions for these horses to run back in and run big. 
Uh, I think both Texas Wedge and Stubbins ran quite, quite well. Again, pure sensation. The distance is not his friend. They went way too fast early on. And Hidden Scroll, I have no idea what you want to do with them at this point. Now we move on to the big one. Been burying the lead a little bit. The Belmont Stakes, as I take a brief swig of water. I don't know what else you can say about Tis the Law outside of the fact that this is a horse who, the beautiful thing about Tis the Law is he can make his own trip. Sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it's true. He can do whatever he needs to do in any sort of position. If there's no speed, he can go to the lead. If they throw it down, he can sit three or four off of it, come with a run. He listens to command. He's incredibly agile. He just seems to fit really well with Manny Franco. And he's he just he looks like a proper racehorse. He wins the Belmont by almost four lengths. Going into the race on paper, it seemed very difficult to me anyway to envision a scenario where he did not work out the trip that he got on Saturday. And it's a good exercise, I think, for any race that you're handicapping that you're going over. When you draw this thing up, I said it in a number of podcasts. I said it when I did my picks for racing picks over the weekend. It wasn't a sexy pick. Tis the law. I mean, everybody had, it was four to five. It was odds on in in an American classic. But I had a very difficult time envisioning a scenario where a horse like Tappet to win didn't go from the inside. A horse like four left wasn't forwardly placed given his situation, the way that he'd been training, the way that he had looked, the races that he's run. If you wanted to say modernist, I threw his name in in the mix. If he had enough early foot, turns out he did not. Pneumatic wasn't going to be too far off of it, but I I maintained. I felt like he was going to be that kind of horse that preferred to sit farther off of it and come with a run as opposed to contend the the pace. If that was the case, how do, how was there? What scenario was Tis the Law not going to take up that three wide stalking trip in the clear, and Manny was going to be able to take over whenever he wanted? I think it's just an exercise that you everyone should go over when you're handicapping any race, no matter how big or small. Try to envision how the race is going to be run. And I kept going back to this. I did, there was no way I didn't unless he missed the break or he got slammed out of there or whatever it may have been. I just didn't see any scenario where he didn't work out this sort of trip. And when the best horse is going to work out that sort of trip, it's going to be very difficult to beat. Tis the Lawrence a 100 buyer, a 120 time form US rating. I think he's awesome. I really do. And I think someone's going to need to jump up in a big, big way to take the three-year-old championship away from him. He's won the grade one Belmont, the grade one Florida Derby, and the grade two or three Holy Bull, whatever it is. He's going to be a prohibitive favorite for the Travers on August 8th. Assuming he does what I think he's capable of, what we've seen he's capable of, and someone else doesn't jump up in a big way, he's likely to be the favorite for the Kentucky Derby the first Saturday in September, or one of. And then, I, again, I mean, at this point, I sound like a broken record. I don't know. Unless Baffert has something, and maybe it's an, a horse like an Uncle Chuck. I don't, I don't know who's out there right now that I'd be shaking in my boots if I were the connections to Tis the Law. I just think he's the best horse. Period. Now, older horses? Who knows? Saturday, I think, is going to go a long way in sort of giving you an indication of what that older division really looks like and who some of the players could be. That race down in Louisville I'll talk about in a bit. But Tis the Law, I, I, I love everything about him. I love the connections. 
I love the running style. I love the agility, the versatility. He's got so much going for him. This is the Lodge. I think he's a really, really nice horse. He is obviously the leader as far as the three-year-old championship honors are concerned. Uh, and I think it's going to take some serious, some serious horses or a number of circumstances for this horse to not go on and continue on this sort of path and this trajectory here. Before I get off these races, the idea of the intensely speed-friendly racetrack at Belmont on Saturday, on the main track anyway, if that were the case, horses like Dr. Post and Max Player would have run immense, giant, giant races. And I suppose it's not impossible to think that Dr. Post could jump up in a big way. And I suppose it's not impossible to think that Max Player could jump up in a big way. But I, if, if you're going to tell me that it was bordering on a conveyor belt, which is what I think of when I see an intense designation, whether it's speed or closer, from time form. And I, I'm curious, what other people think? Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. If it were that speed friendly and Max Player was able to come from ninth in a field of 10 and finish third, granted a well beaten third, but if he was able to rally like that, I mean, we're, we're effectively saying he ran a giant race. I think he ran a fine race. But I, I'm, not, I'm not prepared to sit here and say, I haven't seen enough from Max Player to, to make me think that he's capable of something like that. He's lightly raced. I get it. This is only his fourth start. But for me to sit back and, and look at it and say, wow, for, if, if that's the case on a fair track, does he threaten a horse like Tis the Law? I can't believe that right now. It's too early for me to fully buy into that. Now, maybe he'll make me look silly if he shows up in the Travers or he shows up in one of these other races and, and runs big. But I'm just not convinced that the track was that speed-friendly. Inherently, dirt tracks and dirt racing will favor forwardly placed horses. If you're going to rally from off of it, you either need a pace meltdown or you need to be a million the best. Maybe it's something to keep an eye on. I'm of the opinion that it was a reasonably... Maybe it was slightly speed-friendly, but... Isn't that the case more often than not? Let me know if you agree or disagree. Again, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Shift our attention to racing coming up, which again, for this pod, it's kind of nice when we get cards drawn this early. can just kind of give a little bit of an opening look, an opening volley, if you will. I'm not going to go and do a deep dive, but just taking a look at the two big races at Churchill on Saturday night. Saturday afternoon, I should say. It's actually not an under-the-lights kind of night. But they'll be racing after 5 o'clock. Race 9 is the grade 2 Fleur de Lis. It's the return to the United States, the return to the races of Midnight Bisou. And, you know, with, with the whole maximum security thing going on, you know, again, I'm not going to dive into that too, too much. But the, the, the idea is she ran a giant race in the Saudi Cup, which, again, one turn, mile, and an eight. That was the reason I brought her up. As one of the horses I was most interested in going into that race because I maintain I think she is as good as she is going two turns. I think she's an exceptional one-turn animal. She's going two turns on Saturday. Not only that, but she's coming off of a layoff and she's dealing with a, a razor-sharp horse in Serengeti Empress who I think it's abundantly clear at this point is one-way speed. If she doesn't make the front, she's not going to win. The good news for her and her connections 
Who the hell else is going to go with her? Go Google yourself. I would say, I would say on the kind side tactical, but in a race like this with proper speed, I'd say she's mid pack. Another broad, not fast enough early. Chocolate kisses again, uh, at best tactical, at worst mid pack. I mean, midnight's not that fast early on. She's nice. She's got a little bit of tactical ability, but uh, you know, she's not the kind of horse that's going to be up there pushing the pace. Red Dane. No. Motion to motion. I mean, motion to motion is probably the key to the race. Where if they're trying to win, her... Well, I shouldn't say that. She's won from slightly off of it in the past, stalking the pace. But I just... I don't I don't think there's a scenario where Serengeti Empress doesn't clear off to the front. And we've seen that when she gets... When she gets brave and can take that deep breath and, and just you know, swell up with confidence out there. She doesn't stop. And she's run really well at Churchill Downs in the past. A couple of victories, not, not to mention the Kentucky Oaks last year. I just think it's going to be really difficult for a horse like Midnight Bisu to run down a potentially loose, very sharp, loves the home cooking, Serengeti Empress. It's going to be very, very difficult for her to overcome that tactical disadvantage. And I'll be curious to see what Mike Smith does. How close does she sit to the pace? She was reasonably close to the pace in the Bell Dame back in September. was Midnight Bisu, but keep in mind, that pace was very, rather pedestrian. Serengeti Empress is proper speed. She's going to go out there and drop 46 and change on your head. If she does that, I don't think Midnight can run with her early on, and, and we'll find out. Maybe the mile and an eighth will be the difference maker, but if Serengeti Empress can get brave and open up on a horse like Midnight Bisu, say, come and catch me. If, if you run me down when I've had it all my own way, Tip of the cap and move on. That's how I look at that race. That's just a very, you know, down and dirty sort of look at it, but I don't really know that there's much else to say. As far as the next race, you know, the Stephen Foster to me this year is really interesting for a number of reasons. This is going to be the closest, you know, with the exception of actually racing at Keeneland over the summer in one of those five day, you know, one of the five days they're going to be running. This is going to be the closest location-wise, that these major players will be to Lexington before the Breeders' Cup Classic. And you have horses who have been highly talked about, and you have horses who have seemingly been, I don't want to say disrespected, but have always been looked at as a notch below the major players. And is it possible that the highly thought-of horse could take that step forward. But if that horse, let's say that horse, and and I'm talking about Fearless, down on the inside for Pletcher. If Fearless takes a step forward and beats the two big boys, and I'll get to them in a minute, will people look at it and say, oh, well, he's finally arrived? Or they look at it and say, well, yeah, but he beat by my standards and Tom's they taught, who are nice horses, but they're not Breeders' Cup caliber quality. And then on the flip side, if Tom's Data or By My Standards were to win this race, and it's, you know, and Fearless runs fourth, and, you know, one of those two that I just mentioned ends up running decent enough, well, people look at it and say, fine effort, but what happens when the real horses show up? I'm of the opinion, and it continues to sort of evolve for both of these horses, that Tom's Data and By My Standards are actually... 
they actually might be the two best older horses in training right now. If you want to lump a horse like Improbable into that, that's fine. If you want to lump McKinsey into it, that's fine. And I'm not including sprinters. I'm talking about sort of the classic division types. I think there's a real scenario where those two horses are the best older horses going right now. And for them to line up against one another, literally right next door to one another, I think that sets up a really interesting race. Then you add in a horse like Fearless, who has long been talked about. Many people love him and think that he could be Pletcher's next big older horse. And I haven't even mentioned Owendale yet, who one of the commenters here uh, from a podcast a few weeks ago, when he won the blame, brought up the idea of, is he actually sneaky one of those horses that is better suited to go one turn? I said at the time, I don't disagree with that. I'm fearful, though. When you look at the way that that race was run and who he ran against, he, he's taking on a world of a different animal here, horse of a different color. He had a big pace set up in that one-turn mile at Churchill most recently. Now can he do it going two turns against better horses? That would be my sort of caveat about a horse like Owendale. The horse that I'm most interested in, and will I pick him? In all likelihood, I will. I'm bad about this sort of thing. Fall in love with horses and just kind of stick with them. I've actually already bet on him to win the Breeders' Cup Classic. Did that a few weeks ago. Got a nice number on him. I'm very taken by By My Standards. And perhaps a little bit of is that I feel like he was getting a little bit of disrespect earlier on when people were calling him a fairgrounds horse for course, this, that, and the other thing. My logic with a horse like this, his career debut, he ran fine. Zach Churchill going six and a half, sloppy track, he ran second. Comes back at the fairgrounds, runs well again, a couple times. Doesn't finally break through until start number four. When he finally does, he runs a hole in the wind. Then he comes back with that upset win in the Louisiana Derby, 20 to 1. People probably look at it, think it's either A, a bad field or a fluke. It's the fairgrounds, da 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 da. Doesn't run well in the Kentucky Derby. Then he's gone for, what, nine months? Shows back up at the fairgrounds, just decimates a field. Does it on cruise control. I tweeted before the New Orleans Classic, I think he's going to absolutely bury this field. You know, if you want to say he had a perfect setup, not going to argue with you. Sat that nice sort of perched trip, able to just go off from slow fractions, drew off professionally. Then I, he comes back in the Oakland handicap, loved him that day as well. Same deal. The point is, he can make his own trip, and I don't believe that he's a horse for course. I think he can run wherever. So I'm sure some people will look at it and say he's 0 for 2 at Churchill Downs. What do you make of that? I, I make of the, that that the Kentucky Derby doesn't mean anything to me as far as his resume is concerned. And the other race was his career debut, going shorter than he really wants to go, and he ran fine, a fine second. I like by my standards. I like him quite a bit. I'm curious, and I'm going to pull it up as we're chatting right here. From a pace standpoint, he may be up against it a little bit. It's going to be more mid-pack. He and Tom's Data, if you believe the time form U.S. pace projector. And by the way, that's not to say that Tom's Data, I don't respect him, and I don't think he's going to run well. I mean, look, he went out there, just got it done over a horse and improbable, who all he did was come back 
and win the Hollywood Gold Cup with a 105 buyer. So all in all, from those two races, that's sort of a down and dirty look. If I needed to make picks today, and I reserve the right to change my opinion, and I will probably, at least one of them, will likely end up being a pick for Saturday on racingpicks.com, which you can go over and find for free. All you need to do is enter your email address. You can find me over there Wednesday through Sunday. Saturdays are video picks. I have a hard time envisioning a scenario where somebody goes fast enough to run with Serengeti Empress early on, and I think the tactical advantage is enough to upend Midnight Bisuit at the distance, going two turns. And in the Stephen Foster, I, I just, I believe him by my standards. I believe him by my standards. I think he is a good, good racehorse, and I think he's still a little bit disrespected, and I hope he keeps running well because I have him at 40 to 1 the Breeders' Cup Classic. Let's see. Let's move on to in the money and off the board for this week, and I will keep this nice and tight. Again, for those of you that missed it last week, in the money, anything good? Anybody that did anything solid, worthwhile, noteworthy, whatever it may be, and then off the board, obviously uh, not so good. Disappointing, expected more, the whole nine. As far as the in the money for me this week is concerned, this is going to be a horse that I mentioned in a couple podcasts, and he ran last weekend. And I said he wasn't going to be any kind of a real price, and he wasn't. But I just believe in this horse, and the figure didn't come back great. But I, be- I, I believe wholeheartedly that Collusion Illusion is a racehorse that everyone needs to have on their short list of three-year-old sprinters. He won the Las Barrera last weekend, six and a half furlongs. He only got, he only earned a 91 buyer. I, just, I think this horse is something serious for Mark Glatt. I think one turn, anywhere between six, and I could even see him out to eight. I think he's going to be a serious, serious player in these type of races. I'd love to see his next start. Maybe not his next start, if you want to try to squeeze something in between now and then. I just maintain, I don't want them stretching him out. Keep him at this configuration. I think this is what he is. I think he is a sprinter through and through. Love to see him up at Saratoga. Love to see him in the H. Allen Jerkins. Love to see him in races like the Cigar Mile, like the Metropolitan Handicap next year as a four-year-old. I think Collusion Illusion is a serious, serious racehorse, and he will be my in-the-money for this week. As far as off the board is concerned, I know I said I was going to leave it up to everyone else, but I I guess I'm going to pile on. I, I I don't know what you do anymore with Hidden Scroll. There's a little bit of pedigree that suggests that turf is what he's going to want. He went off at four to one in a grade one on turf. It is effectively his turf debut. I mean, he dumped the rider in that, that N1X or N2, whatever it was, a couple weeks back. They wheel him right back here. He shows speed, and I get it. The speed was supersonic. They ran last and second to last, him and Pure Sensation. But at what point... I believe in the whole confidence thing. It's the same thing you see it with pitchers, young pitchers. You see it with uh, quarterbacks in the NFL. 
what happens when you get your brains bashed in one too many times and you, you start looking at it and you're like, I can't do this. I believe the horses feel the same way. And a horse like Hidden Scroll who just keeps just getting beaten up and beaten up. I wonder how many times you can go to the well before he's like, you know, <laughs> screw this. This isn't working. There's one other idea. I saw someone tweet about it. And I, I apologize. I'm not trying to steal it from you. I just don't remember who it was. And it'll take too much for me to go back and find it right now. Someone brought up the idea of him going longer on grass. And based on the pedigree, you know, there, there's some proper turf form going long on the bottom. And Hardspun, who I believe is his sire, is not terrible as far as the grass is concerned. You know, who, who's to say you don't get him in a, in a spot going nine furlongs on turf? Where he can get out there and he doesn't have to go 43 in a piece. He can get out there and go 47 and four or 48 seconds. And he can take a deep breath and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a different ball game here. I'm not, you know, running for my life from jump. I can go out there and I can just gallop along for a little while and then we can really run. That would be, to be totally honest, that would probably be the, the legitimate last straw for me. But I will say his past two runs, and I mean his proper runs, not, not when he dumped the rider, he's been in some really, really difficult pace situations. Now, I'm saying he's off the board because he ran last, and he's, he's kind of just becoming the, the butt of jokes. But I, I'll give him one more look. If we can get an opportunity, and again, I'm not—I don't mean to steal it from anyone. Whomever tweeted it, uh, they get the credit, and I'm sure somebody can find it out there. Maybe it was one of you listening. Get him going a little bit longer on turf, where you can go a little bit more moderate early on. You don't have to go—you know—it's not a drag race. You can take your time. Maybe we can give him one more chance, but based on what he did last week. I get it. The pace was wicked. Hidden scroll, you're off the board. Let me know who was in the money for you and off the board for you this past week beneath the video player here on YouTube. Let's dive into a quick, swift pick history. Updated. Where are we? 2020. Let's get a sample size here. Going back to the middle of February when this program came back and was revamped so my computer is going through sample size is now up to 202 we have an 18 percent win rate unfortunately we are down eight percent as far as the roi is concerned so some quick math off the top of my head that would give us a dollar 84 return on investment you would have wagered 404 dollars and you would have had 370 dollars 20 cents returned um Obviously, the, the past little run has been a little bit difficult. Started to pick up some winners here and there, and I'll take them where I can get them. I think it's starting to trend in the right direction, though. Again, starting to, I think, see a, a little bit more. Some of the prices are starting to run a little bit better as well. And if we're looking at it from a win play show standpoint, 49% down, 10% as far as the ROI is concerned. So that would give you a $1.80 return on investment. You would have wagered $1,206. You would have had $1,086 returned for a net profit of minus $120. So 
you know, obviously there's always work to be done, always ways to improve. You can find all the selections that are incorporated into the pick history over on racingpicks.com. That's where all of these live, if you were so inclined. And let's pull one quick Q&A, if there is one. Because like I said, guys, I need you to need you to fire away in the comment section beneath the video player on YouTube. Pull this up if I can. And again, this is the beauty of when things go sideways as far as uploads and whatnot. When you have your rundown and everything looks great, and then all of a sudden... Something's not working the way that you thought it was going to, and then yada 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 gets all jacked up. Now you're on. Now you're scrambling a little bit. That's where I am. Let's see. Just quickly, uh, you know what? Let's just breeze through some of these things. Um, let's see. Uh, Alex Kibrick in the money from last week. Constitution and honor code from their first crop. They produced the winner and third place finishers. In their first Triple Crown races, the Stallions, big future for both. Very, very astute observation from Alex Kibrick. Very nice. I like that. Uh, Bruce Meyer saying that he appreciates me trying the idea for the $100 challenge. I'm sorry this particular trial didn't work out. I'm in the middle of my own death spiral with regard to the challenge, but I'm trying to keep the faith. I liken this quest to sitting in a fishing boat and pulling on that motor cord over and over, trying to get started before you go over the waterfall. Well, I went over the waterfall, Bruce, and I hope you don't end up with the same fate. Uh, he continues, hopefully with a break and some reflection, you will give it another try down the road as it was enjoyable to follow along. I think it's a worthy challenge and one that can be instructive for players at all levels. Uh, this is a tough game, as we know, and fortunes are won and lost at the click of a camera. Thank you for listening, Bruce. And again, for those of you that are not following, I believe he is at, at Oracle 56. Let me, uh, double check that on Twitter. Again, a very, very sharp handicapper. Uh, won a number of contests throughout uh, up at Canterbury, I believe out at Santa Anita as well. Let's just double check because I don't want to be leading people in the wrong direction. At Oracle 65, not 56, at Oracle 65, Bruce Meyer on Twitter. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, let's go through a couple other very brief ones. Let's see. Thomas Pinoza. Tom has... Followed along on Twitter. Appreciate that. Uh, Gamine and Tis the Law had nice ones on Belmonte. I was really impressed by no parole. Any chance he tries Met Mile or stay sprinting in a Saratoga Stakes? And then Tom followed up by saying, ah, I just read Amos is pointing to the H. Allen Jerkins uh, August 1st up at Saratoga. So I kind of already tipped off that. I didn't love that he didn't change leads. Uh, very, very talented horse. I have no doubt about it. But given this situation... And the other horses and the other pace that I think is going to be involved in some of these other races for him going forward, he's just the kind of horse that I want to take a shot against at what's likely to be a short price in his next race because he's a grade one winner. He has shown the ability to be forwardly placed, and people will always give those horses a little bit more respect. And I just, again, he had been so professional throughout his career, and for him to not change leads for the first time, a little bit of a concern for me. So I'm going to be against him, but... I appreciate the input, Tom. Thanks for the follows on Twitter and the interaction. Always appreciated stuff. Let's see. Uh, Maybe we can get one more in here. No, I think that's going to be it for this week. So, again, a bit of a quick one, a brief one. I apologize. I will be back into my studio area in the office next week. Um, So another week of just visual, uh, just audio, excuse me, on YouTube. But at the end of the day, you don't really need to see me, do you? It's not, not, not really worthwhile, especially when I haven't shaved in God knows how long. 
how have you been listening to the thing? Thank you for doing so. You have YouTube. All you need to do is search Matt Bernier Show in the search bar. And then again, subscribe to the In The Money channel on YouTube. Make sure the bell icon is lit up so you get everything that In The Money Media has to offer. If you're inclined to just listen to the audio-only version, you can head on over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your Android device as the police go ripping by. Um, however you do any of this stuff, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever you feel. But all interaction is appreciated and it helps us get content out there helps us with deals as far as sponsorships are concerned with advertisers and ultimately that in turn produces and leads to more content so uh, the more you can help us the more we can get more stuff out there for you questions comments concerns beneath the video player on youtube or on twitter at bernie or underscore matt give me a follow over there i'll be back next monday with episode 21 of the matt bernie show going over the racing from churchill downs and i'm sure a number of other things but until then This has been episode 20. Good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever.